Hello and welcome to episode 136 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy. With me, my co-host, Matthew Schultz. Matthew, how are you? Good, how are you? I am good. I ended the last show by saying Michael instead of Matthew again. I know, it, just, it breaks my heart every time. I, a, uh, I I'm just going to call you... I'm going to call you Matthew Schultz, your full name from now on. That works. So, Matthew just, Schultz. Yes, yeah. <laughs> or I should... How's it going? It's good. Life is good. good. So, yeah. the last podcast, I was actually on the first day of a week off, which was very, very nice. A week off of my real job, not my pretend job. That job never ends. Um, so yeah, I got a couple of games beat, which was really nice. I, I kind of got to catch up a little bit on <clears throat> playing games for fun instead of as work. So that was kind of nice. And I beat Shantae, Half Genie Hero on the Wii U. Have you ever played a Shantae game before? No, I've always wanted to. Um, it's kind of an interesting story too about about you know the, the series of games and everything but uh, i have never actually gotten to play it and i'm curious like what what kind of game does it play like what what is it like it's a platformer obviously but what is it like a metroidvania where you're going back i don't think back? it is obvious so the game of course started on the game boy color and was released well after a primetime game should have been released on the Game Boy Color and nobody played it and I think it's like a $400 loose cart at the moment um, but then it um, I don't actually know I think I think it had two follow-ups after that maybe on the Game Boy Advance or the DSiWare or something along those lines and then Shantae Half Genie Hero is the first physical console high definition release it's my understanding the first three games or two games I'm already forgetting what's what um, were pure Metroidvania style games uh, whereas Half Genie Hero is sort of a platformer Metroidvania hybrid so you, um, you end up replaying levels a lot so you get new powers and then you revisit a past level and mostly play through it from beginning to end there are some power-ups later on that let you skip sections of a level but it's kind of strange it's interesting so it's kind of got like does it have like an overworld and you're going you go oh now i have this thing i can go back to this this stage yeah basically and- once you unlock a stage you can revisit it at at will huh is it like when you start the stages, do you have to pick a set of things that you're going to use as the character, or do you just... No, you have access to everything at all times, but like at some point you get the power to fly, so then you will have to revisit a level and then f- find the spot where you get to fly up and access a new area within the level. I see. So like in a Castlevania game you would backtrack all the way back to wherever this new power, you know, unlocked for you. Uh, But here you just sort of revisit the level. (laughs) Yeah. Which is in some ways the, a nicer way to do it because one of the, I know one of the things that turns people off from that style of game is, yeah, exactly. You're, you're trapped, you're running across the map because now you have a thing and you're like, Oh wait, I can go back here. And unless you're speed running, you don't know. Like, ah, you know, if if you just wait, you'll be able to do three more things there as soon as you have this other stuff. And you're kind of just stumbling around in the dark figuring out what is it, the the next thing that I'm supposed to do. So that's that's an interesting approach, a nice way to just keep the game going. 
Or, yeah, I don't... I, what do you the think other about issue it? with the the end of the main mode you get so overpowered that it's actually really easy so the beginning of the game is actually the hardest part of the game right but there's a lot of magic i think it levels up three times one of those is a shield and i think there's another item that gives you unlimited magic so like when you're fighting the last boss on the normal mode you have you can't die <laughs> it's really strange Oh, I see. So it's just like a, the balance isn't there. No, but there's other modes. There's a hardcore mode and, arca- and, and arcade mode. So maybe there's some challenge lurking there for me. But I found that really weird. I, I appreciate trying to make a game approachable, especially such a niche game that a lot of people aren't going to buy anyway. This was, of course, a Kickstarter game. And because back when it was kickstarted people didn't realize the wii u was going to be a failure so it's just on the wii u like by accident (laughs) sort of like mighty number nine like i'm sure if they did the kickstarter six months later there would not have been a wii u part but whatever it doesn't take advantage of the wii u in any way so no it was nice to it's refreshing i can't wait to explore the other modes and then i can't wait to do it all again later this year but it was nice to finally beat a game just for the fun of it oh and the music is really good i don't know who made it it's it's way forward so they have like a some composers that they use for a lot of their stuff but it's very i don't know what the word is it's very pop it's it's like power pop i it's just amazing everything about it is amazing the it's kind of funny we were talking about um oh shoot um out of this world where the main character is either polygons or vectors however you want to look at it but it can you know zoom and rotate infinitely because it's not a sprite so shantae is actually a vector so it looks really great as she moves around and the screen moves around it's it's exceptionally smooth and then the backgrounds are all 3d but kind of modern 3d where unless you're really paying attention it does kind of look like 2d backgrounds so it's a really visually interesting game it's very way forwardy where it's very very charming very very clever but the gameplay isn't you know as sound as uh, another game we'll talk about in a little bit well so it's, it's nice to be able to just enjoy a game you know especially in in your you know uh line of work i guess you could say uh it's nice to know that you can just kind of sit down and and <laughs> not be on the clock when you're yeah. playing a game it was i think it's only like six hours so it's a good way to waste an afternoon yeah what about you how have you been I've been doing good. Um, so I mentioned I've okay. So I've been programming, but not not game related stuff. And I I wanted to just kind of really quick. So I'm I'm reaching the the end post on on this thing that uh, I mentioned briefly last episode of like I'm working on an eBay bot, which is kind of I'll get I'll eventually once this thing's ready I'll talk more about it. But um, so one of the things that I've been encountering as i do this is like uh this this thing of like this self-doubt i guess where it's like okay i I keep moving forward on this but am i spending too much time on it is is this um you know then the then the idea of like is this gonna make make me anything am i gonna you know is this gonna work so to speak and i just start to kind of doubt what i'm doing but i'm still going forward um and it's just this kind of like 
weird sort of self-loathing state of mind where I get into where it's just like, I got to keep going. I got to get to the end of this. But then it's also just a lot of doubt starts creeping in. And it's like, man, I've been spending so much time on this. What if it's a complete waste? Um, I'm just wondering, do you ever have that feeling? <laughs> and like, how do you cope with that? Um, this is a weird way to just kick off the episode of, of just like diving into this well, kind of- I mean, I've failed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, maybe nearing the failing 500 times uh, benchmark, but, you know, I guess in the most childish, basic thing that everyone's heard the whole life is, you know, failing is just, you know, learning or what is it a learning? What there's some expression, some Chinese proverb, I'm sure. But no, you just that's something you learn from, right? So let's say an eBay bot fails catastrophically. And does it really matter? Like, because you will have learned, you know, how not to create a bot, you'll have learned how people how sellers use eBay, you'll learn, I don't know if it's Facebook or whatever, you'll learn a new API, you'll have all of this new knowledge that you'll be able to take with you to the next journey so we'll talk later on when we talk about an old video but like yeah so every single video i have failed at has you know taught me something for the future yeah i think that's i think that's a good way to look at it i I think for me right what so because i haven't felt this way in a while and i think what's changed is now that i have a kid Suddenly it's like, I have to, your time really, is worth a different amount. Exactly. And so I feel like I have to optimize as much as possible. So in my head, I'm going, okay, well, even if this, like, I'm sort of hedging the losses already with the choices that I'm making as I'm making this thing where it's like, okay, at least I've also developed this other platform. So if this doesn't work out, I haven't wasted all my time. Cause I have this thing now, this like base that I can kind of work off of. Um, and so maybe that's changed the method that I'm going at. And, and the other thing is, is I, I will see it through because the, and I put sunken costs as like a question mark in, in the notes, but like, I have to see this through. I, I've spent all this time on it and I can get to the end. And so it's just this thing where, because I, I'm the, the thing that's freaks me out about charging for anything like this is unlike a game or even if I made a game, but in our business, you know, we buy and sell and there's a clear transaction and we're done. But, um, this kind of thing, support exactly. This kind of thing is like a living system and people are going to start to rely on it. And so there's definitely this other level where it's like, I have to be, this has to be something where I would feel safe using it. We've had this thing personally and it's like, that's one thing, but to make it something you can charge for is a whole nother game. And, and so that's, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's what things scare makes me. it different. Like Patreon, for example, I mentioned last episode, there's, you know, 20 to 23 people that actually, you know, donate or, or tip their hard earned money. And it's scary to be like, all right, well, the next five things are going to be Sonic the Hedgehog. And I really am going to feel terrible if four of these Patreons can't stand Sonic or don't want to hear me mention his name (laughs) another time for as long as I can live. That's a terrifying feeling, like trying to make sure you're providing value, but also taking care of the future. Yeah. Well, we'll see. 
We shall see. We shall revisit the eBay bot in the future. So, you played a, you played a, and reviewed another game. So this I read one the you're excited about. Oh, you read the yeah, comments? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, man. You should not read comments. No, <laughs> I shouldn't. I was wanting to, like, rage at people. I, I, I read the comments, and then I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's, Anyways. It's, the videos are big enough now where, like, yeah, I don't get a chance. I don't respond to comments. Like, I, I used to respond to every comment, and, and now I don't I don't respond to very many. Um, and you know, another thing I do is I'll actually, generally speaking, when a video goes up, I'll wait two or three days before I respond to any comment. Otherwise I'm just going to, yeah, I'll be raging at people like you're an asshat, man. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> but I find if I give myself a couple of days to just remove myself when I come back, I'm, it's much easier to just ignore the trolls <laughs> or just the, the nonsense. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I get on every video. So what did you see in the comments that uh, that you thought was bizarre? Well, it was just this weird, there's this, and it's a certain type of gamer, I think, where they're like, well, obviously, <laughs> you know, you, th- I, I could tell by the video that this guy doesn't know how to play blah, 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 blah. And like, that just like, I don't know, the I'm a better gamer than you are, like, kind of horn tooting thing that happens and just like a lot of the i guess it's a lot of the youtube stuff that you see but i think the gamers in particular are a certain kind of mean um (laughs) i mean a lot of people are positive about it because they're it's the nostalgia thing where they just love the game and they they love to somebody else loves the game and so they want to want to talk about we haven't even mentioned the game yet (laughs) oh yeah it's rayman origins (laughs) rayman origins i played it on the xbox 360 and uh yeah that review went up yesterday yeah but i guess so given i I mean we could talk about youtube comments till you know the end of time but um i just think it's funny that that like i'm i'm better at this than than you are (laughs) like mentality where it's like um i don't know what to say man like uh you know um i have to edit a video and it just depends on you know especially it's like earlier stages it's it's you know you're learning how to play the game or whatever and you're trying to find like when you're editing something you're trying to find the best clips for well this is why i play it twice so i'm not even using the, the footage of me playing it the first time doesn't even exist. So that gets rid right. of like 75% of the nonsense. And um, it helps me actually understand, okay, how many of the issues were my fault for being new and how many are, you know, because if I spent 20 hours with most of these games. So if like the combat in Rayman 3, for example, is not very good and people are just like, well, you suck at it. You're not doing it right. And it's like, no, I played the game for 20 hours. If the learning curve for the combat is more than 20 hours that in itself should tell you that it doesn't work very well but no this is something that happens with every old game right so you love double dragon on the nes you can beat double dragon on the nes it is something that you have nostalgia for it's something that you've played recently and if you saw somebody review the game and they kind of missed half of the point of double dragon you would kind of be like well this guy's an idiot clearly he yeah. didn't put enough time into it yeah i think that's a big part of it man it's like when you play a game when you're 10 or whatever you know you can spend hours on it and sometimes that's you know when your parents buy you something like that that's the only game you're playing for 
for a long yeah, period no. of time. So you get crazy, crazy good at it. Yeah, it's like the, the classic Sonics. Like, it's hard for me to see the flaws because I've spent hundreds of hours on the game. So, yeah, somebody that's played Rayman Origins for 100 or 200 hours is, you know, going to see my gameplay and be like, oh, he, he did this wrong, he did that wrong. And it's like, yeah, because I didn't play the game for 200 hours and I'm not going to. And, you know, that's fine. Some of the criticisms could be fair. I, I, I don't know. Well, I think so. I mean, just I guess we can just start talking about the game because I, I, there, so the game, like, what did, what did you think of it? I, I guess thought it was the best 2D platformer I have ever played in my entire life. <laughs> like, bar none. It is head and shoulders above 99% of 2D platformers out there. And I would even put it above like New Super Mario Brothers U, which I actually feel is amazing as well. Yeah, it's it's like a joy in a in a it's it's hard to exp- I don't know it it just is kind of a happy feeling when you're playing playing it too like it has this way of eliciting like it's constantly I mean there's a dang ukulele going on when you finish a level and like there's there's just all this feedback that you're getting as a player to to kind of it make is. It- yeah, there's that's one of the things that it does really well. It gives you it's constantly rewarding you, but it's not like giving you a participation trophy. Right. It is yeah. you are being rewarded for completing tasks and the it is kind of hard to die through most of the game unless you're really bad. <laughs> um I mean it's it's it gets in my opinion it gets very difficult near the end, but it is. It is. It's always rewarding you, be it visuals, being it Rayman's victory dance, being it the um, the didgeridoo, I think you're, no, the Jews harp or the mouth harp, I think you're yeah, thinking Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. And yeah, but- yeah it's, it's amazing. It is one of, it, the word that I, people have used and I used and tried my best to explain was flow. There is a flow to all 40 or whatever levels in Rayman origins that is virtually unmatched by any game I have ever played in my life. Yeah. I think there's also just some interesting, um, there's like a, how do I put it? Like you can play it straight platformer, but then like you're talking about the whole flow thing where, you start to realize certain the certain mechanics and the way they kind of ch- can kind of chain together and it sort of becomes like this like you start me- speed running without even right. realizing you're trying to speed run yeah and i'm and not mus- a speed runner i have yeah. zero interest in <laughs> playing and a I game feel for like- 200 hours and getting super fast but in rayman origins all of a sudden you're like i bet if i run jump here and do everything just right it'll play exactly like super mario brothers and it yeah. does. Well, that's cool. I'm glad. You, I'm glad you like that game. It's. Um, and have you started Legends? Um, I think I'm like thirty or forty percent through Legends, actually. Okay. Okay. And that is on the Wii U with the touchpad support, which is awesome. But we'll talk about that more next week. Yeah. Awesome. Any other thoughts on Rayman Origins? Beautiful graphics, awesome Jew harp no. music, and good level <laughs> flow. I would say the only thing is like like you mentioned in a review that uh something like only 50,000 copies at launch sold. Did you actually watch the video? I did. I How far did see- you get through? Um, I think I watched the whole thing. You watched all 32 minutes? Yeah, I did. I've managed to have, uh, well, it's a cute game, so I could put it on with the kid and, and not feel guilty. <laughs> Listen um, to this man talk about Rayman. <laughs> <laughs> 
but but yeah like it's it's saccharine looking and it the presentation is really cute and and all that stuff and it's just like you know that might be a turnoff for some people but if you like platformers and you haven't tried playing it i think you should go out and try playing it that's i did um a patreon supporter actually said that um um they found the game very repetitive and when I was doing research for the script to try and figure out what people didn't like about the game, that was it. Like everybody that didn't like the game said it was repetitive or I played the demo and it seemed really repetitive. Like that was just a theme. So I think I uh, I don't know what the demo only gives you an hour. So oh, is that what it is? Right. So there's I don't think that's enough time. To it really... was definitely a theme that came up a lot. So it seems like a valid criticism and I'm just I'm not able to see it. I would really actually like to see a video where somebody um, really goes into depth about why what Rayman Origins gets wrong, because there's obviously a reason it's sold poorly, like masterpiece level games don't generally sell that poorly so there is something about that game that is it's lacking some sort of critical appeal and i i could not for the life of me find it but i know it's there yeah i i can see it well and i think there is a split in the fan base too kind of like with sonic games oh, because God, this was, yes <laughs> yeah so i think that's part of it as well um, I actually remember watching, uh, it doesn't matter, but I remember watching a video about the, somebody was just, uh, going from a purely like storytelling angle on, and cause this game has next to none, but it's like, um, that's an interesting vertical to have a, to that be where you're like, you know, this is just nothing like the other ones because of the story. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, that happens in Sonic too. And uh, or Sonic as well. And I honestly, I don't, I don't see the story in any of these games. Like I just got off. Oh, that's what I should have picked. I just finally finished. Did I say this already? Jessica Jones season one. And I thought that I'm like, Oh, this is a story. This crap that's in Sonic adventure two is not <laughs> a story. I just, I can't see that either, but no, some people actually really like a deep narrative, um, with interesting characters is critically important to their enjoyment. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's why, you know, we knew with CD and FMV games that, that, you know was going to get there metal gear solid might not have been as um herald if it wasn't for a deep story and really good voice acting and really awesome cinematics and things like that if it was just that old msx gameplay maybe it wouldn't have done very well yeah that's a good point so those things are definitely i i try to see them so i i there i don't know if it makes a game bad or not but i i definitely am becoming more aware as i get more to more and more modern games i'm starting to maybe understand a little bit more about about people's tastes and and how gaming tastes have changed you know through the last 30 years yeah one final note about the comments here's another thing that i always try to keep in the back of my mind and i heard this from some big youtuber and i don't remember who anymore but basically they were stating like if you find yourself getting defensive over comments then <laughs> you know when if you're starting to feel defensive then you've probably done something wrong so when people say get good or you suck or you know it's clear you're not an expert at this game i'm 
totally comfortable with it. I know that I did my due diligence and people can pick it apart all they want, but I feel extremely confident with each and every sentence that I wrote and I don't feel any need to defend myself. And if I do find myself getting defensive, then I'm looking, okay, what is this person saying that is right, that is grinding me and and try to act on that feeling, obviously not feeding the trolls, but try to understand, okay, what is striking a nerve here? What <laughs> right. there must be a, a, a there must be some truth here that I need to figure out and process. So, no, sometimes uh, trollish comments do you know result in some sort of growth, but ninety nine percent of the times, I'm finding it easier and easier to just move along. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you have uh, speaking of YouTube. Yes. So this is the other thing I did on my week off is I've been talking about this like for the last year or so is having a second channel where I put long play videos because I have like three years worth of like full gameplay (laughs) recordings and I really should get some use out of those. It doesn't take very much time. And so I created a long play channel and then I got to my I got three videos up. I'm desperately trying to pull this up here. It's just called IPG long plays. If you don't want to watch long plays of games, then this would be no of no interest. But I put up I started with Master System just because I assumed I would have the least amount of problems with Master System games, and Sega doesn't usually ever claim anything, so it seemed like a safe place to start. So I put up Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse, a full long play, and I actually did a little bit of light editing to kind of get rid of moments where I stop moving to take notes and things like that. And then I did Alex Kid in Miracle World. And then I did Rambo First Blood Part 2. And then two days after that video went up, I got one of those emails from YouTube saying, you have received a copyright strike. If you get two more, we will be deleting your channel. I'm like, ah, okay, this is what this looks like. So like if I go to the dashboard and look at my videos, I can see the videos there, but now you can't do anything with it. It says copyright strike. And then at that point, you get to see the email address of the person that claimed the video. And um, there's some there's these companies. I assume they exist in the U.S. as well. But basically, they just do this. They go on YouTube. They go on wherever and uh, they just claim things for their client. So a company called Studio Canal. And if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. I think it's a French company or an English company. Yeah, it's um, a movie studio, I believe. Yeah, it's a movie studio. They own Rambo. They own the movie Rambo First Blood Part 2. And they hire a firm that goes and scours the internet for footage of their movies and then they take get it taken down. This company charges for it and they their website brags about a 99% um, uh, success rate. And it's like this whole baffling world that I had no idea existed because I primarily, or not primarily, I only do reviews and I don't really have to worry about things like copyright. And uh, it's pretty easy for me to defend if I did have a problem. So it became very clear that the this firm, this person, this was a manual match. This wasn't automated, obviously. <laughs> Rambo First Blood Part 2 on the Master <laughs> System does not contain anything from the film. Um, if you've ever played an 8-bit overhead running gun, it would be very difficult to confuse that for an 80s action movie starring <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Um, so it became very obvious to me that somebody just like their... They must have like a daily task, like 
go on YouTube, search for Rambo First Blood Part 2, search by, <laughs> you know, filter it by last week, and then just claim them all. Like, that's some person's job. That's how they spend an hour of their Tuesdays. And um, so at that point, you have two, op- well, you have three options. You can just do nothing. Otherwise, they say, well, here's their email address. Do you address you can ask them to retract it or you can do a counter notification so i click on the counter notification and then basically google gives you like you are entering a legal blah 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 you know and i'm like uh so then i actually went on youtube and i searched like what should i do in this situation and i actually came through an h3 h3 video and i've never watched an h3 h3 anything before um he's one of the biggest youtubers so I'm like, well, if if three million people watch this, I guess I will see what he has to say. And basically, he said that all of this legalese is meant to scare you and you're not going to, you know, go to jail if you click on this button and you're wrong. So, no, I clicked it. I wrote a little message saying my video does not contain any footage from your film, Rambo First Blood Part 2. It contains no video or no audio from the film. I think you've claimed this in air and i submitted my thing clicked on a bunch of more like i understand i am entering into a legal blah 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 and i'm just like whatever at this point i don't care i started thinking how amusing it would be to be sitting in court and then making the judge watch (laughs) rambo first blood part two and then making them watch my long play of rambo first blood part two and be like you can clearly see i have nothing that they own in my video (laughs) um so that amused me and i moved forward and then a couple days later i got an email from youtube stating that they will have 14 days to provide proof that they are taking me to court otherwise my video goes back up so i suspect i'm not going to receive a subpoena in the mail or anything and uh, next time we talk i will have a nice clean ipg long plays channel and then i'll just keep uploading videos until it happens again yeah um it's it's you know, especially with video games, the other thing that you'll notice happening when you when you have a lot more, like since this is long play, especially music will sample games, and so you'll get a claim from a song, and you're like, "What?" And then if you bother to listen to the song, you're like, "Oh, <laughs> they're actually using a sample of the game here or whatever," uh, and somehow the the algorithms that they use to detect the audio. Uh, you know, itself is is finding something. Yeah, um, audio is the big one. Like I, I would, I won't even bother with anything from Nintendo because, well, luckily they don't. I think I don't believe they do copyright strikes. I just, I think they just steal the ad revenue. Um, yeah, and then then that we kind of get to that first point where is it worth my time to spend an hour editing a video when somebody else is going to get the revenue? And the answer is no, that is not worth my time. <laughs> <laughs> So once this goes through, then I'll move on to Batman Returns for the Master System, and then I'll just keep going until I get another one and just try to make sure I never get three copyright strikes at the same time. Otherwise, it's game over. Well, uh, I mean, the great thing about having the long play channel is you're going to pull people in who who just see you play the games. Um, no, the good thing is, is I can tell um, who's the British guy with the... Guru Larry, next time you ask me for footage, I'll just be like, yeah, you can take it from the IPG Long Plays channel. Do whatever you you like with it. I don't care. Me and a friend argue about that, about do I own the footage in my videos? And I, in my opinion, yes, I do own it. Nobody can just take my 
edited footage and use it as their own. Um, that's me pressing the jump button. That's me making a cut every six seconds. That's my art. Nobody else can have it. Um, and I kind of equated it to if I take a photograph of a Coca-Cola can, that photograph is mine. Coca-Cola doesn't own that photograph. Right. Even though it's their product, even though they own the Coca-Cola logo, that's not their photograph. And I don't think anybody in the entire world would dispute that. Yet when we talk about video game footage, nobody thinks of it that mm, half. There seems to be like a 50-50. Some people are like, well, it's not my game. I don't own any of it. Other people lean more towards me where, no, that's my inputs. That's my transformation. That's my editing. Nobody else gets to have it. Well, even beyond all that, it's in, in it's in the context of a review, which which is one of the most pr- criticism is like one of the most protected forms of speech. And and so well, like Guru Larry obviously doesn't take my audio. He just takes the video. Right. And, and says, but that's well, what I'm saying is yours. Right. Uh, yeah, I see. I see why they're trying to get all it's like, no, it is me on it. <sighs> well, it's just, you know, you got to ask yourself when you do that. Would I want someone to do that to me? And would I take, just like you're talking about with, you know, when when you get defensive, when you see a comment and you start to feel defensive, it's like, well, maybe there's something that you need to change. And it's like, if you're going to be the guy who's going to take someone else's footage and then kind of worm your way out of it. <laughs> then freak uh, out when it, someone takes your then, idea. <laughs> right. It's like, you, you know, you, you've got to... You got to play by the rules that, that you want, would want to see others. And, you know, sometimes that means that they won't, but you can, you know, stand by your, your, uh, your standards, I guess you could say. And now in the long play, I actually feel differently. I don't really like if I had gotten a copyright strike from Sega, there's no way I would dispute it. Right. Yeah, you're right. There's this isn't really that transformative. I'm showing your entire game without really changing it. And that's what I'm saying. Since (laughs) since it's in the context of your reviews, that's where it is. It's absolutely your work. And so it's your your opinion and your editing and your time and everything went into that. Um, And I feel like that should be respected, especially among peers in the same industry let's say of, of doing these kinds of videos you would think sometimes that there would be more camaraderie but it, it kind of is a dog eat dog world yeah yeah i mean you i know. have camaraderie with people i talk you know behind the scenes with okay what should we do next what's right what's wrong what is working what isn't working um things like that and there is camaraderie but there's also you know, uh, Watch Mojo really doesn't seem to have any camaraderie, and they will just, you know, take and pillage till their heart's content. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, that's if you're, a good idea for a top five. I think we'll do that. Yep. And, and we'll do. have the intern source all the video, and and nothing's gonna go wrong. <laughs> just search for Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse and take all this. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, <laughs> here's all the high. Here's the highlights. Steal those. Don't go through. And yeah, just World of Long Plays is really interesting because they state in their about page like. Take take the footage, use it for whatever you want. Don't re-upload it in full, obviously. Just remember to give us credit. Yeah. And that, to me, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, I don't... Ugh, World of Long Plays is crazy. I don't know how often you look at other analytics on YouTube, but they're like... They're nearing a million subscribers and millions of views a day. Like, somebody... They're, they're closing in on a billion views. Like, wow. somebody has probably made a million or two, if not more, by putting all that together. 
And just playing video games, man. No, That's it's community-driven. People submit them, and then he uploads what? them. I didn't realize that. Yeah. What a scheme. What a <laughs> genius. Seriously. See? I'm, I'm in the uh, wrong business. Seriously. Alrighty. So I cannot wait to talk about, hopefully I have good news about this copyright strike in two weeks, and not bad news, but we shall see. Are you ready to move on to the news? I am. I am what? I am 8-Bit. <laughs> the company is doing a couple of more uh, re-releases. So I think it was last year they re-released, uh, with Capcom's blessing, of course, um, Super Street Fighter 2 on the Super Nintendo. And this year they have two new games that they're re-releasing for the Super Nintendo, Mega Man X and Mega Man 2. They're calling these the 30th anniversary classic cartridges um, authorized uh, by Capcom, of course, not official Nintendo cartridges also, of course. And uh, let's talk about these a little bit. So the Mega Man X, actually, these are pretty much the same. So both have a brand new playable cartridge, so not new old stock. Um, both of them have a, a trifold box with foil, gloss, and embossments, and both of them have instruction booklets with actually new forwards so i thought it was really neat Mega Man x the very first episode of the completionist actually which is probably gone now because he deleted them all was Mega Man x and it has a forward by gerard the completionist khalil and Mega Man 2 has a forward by somebody named salvatore Payne, and i apologize i don't know who that is there's going to be 8500 of each cartridge for Mega Man X, it's going to be 7,500 opaque white and 1,000 glow-in-the-dark blue. And for Mega Man 2, 7,500 opaque light blue and 1,000 glow-in-the-dark blue. And you do not get to choose your cartridge. You just order one or two or whatever and hope for the best. And they, always, uh, the big one, the big scheme. one, they each cost $100. Oof. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Um. <laughs> I will not be buying these. Like I really, <laughs> if I was, um, you know, if I was 22 years old or 23 years old making 40 grand a year with zero debt, this is the type of thing I would have spent my money on. Oh uh, yeah. But being an adult with a mortgage and other responsibilities and debt <laughs> that I'm paying down, um, I, I cannot in good conscience buy either of these, but I have to tell you, I like them both. Yeah, well, I mean, in, it, <sighs> I was more lukewarm on the Street Fighter or Super Street Fighter Two because mm -hmm. I and I think it's because I just had no interest in that game, so the product didn't make any sense to me. And now that I actually like Mega Man Two and I like Mega Man X and I own cartridges for both, and I think that's what all of a sudden like a different part of my brain's triggering. Like, ooh, these are nice. I like these. Right, and there's that collector's factor where it's beyond. Uh, it's beyond just collecting the original game. It's now they've got a collector's edition, which in, you know, by numbers alone is technically once these come out will be more rare than the original X game itself. As long as, uh, uh, as well as the, um, you know, Mega Man 2. Too. So it, it, that creates this weird thing. <laughs> Let's put it this you know? way. If, if Capcom got together with some sort of toy, high-end toy company and released a $100 um, Mega Man statue, nobody would get upset about it. 
Right. And that's how I look at this. It is a collector's item. It is not for me. It is for a Mega Man collector. And I think I'm okay with that now. You know, one one thing about this, too, is that the price seems high. But when you think about it, I I don't know. I I come from the the reseller angle and I would I would never buy these in the hopes of being able to flip them. I just feel like there's way too much risk involved in. Yeah, they might what, never be worth more than a hundred dollars. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> or they might. And that's, they might yeah, and knows. that's where I think they priced it right. You want to be able to this kind of stuff. You want to be able to price it where you can bring the price down if you need to. This is the type um, of thing where you don't want to sell eighty five hundred, and then next week there's four thousand on eBay for yeah for four times the price, and you know that's where you realize you screwed up. <laughs> you screwed the pooch, um, and so I think this is a pretty competitive price uh, i think i think this might outprice a lot of resellers and the ones that are going to pick it up are going to feel a burn maybe i don't know i think you know the whole i don't think resellers are buying this no way yeah it's it's so hard let's it's talk hard to about call the it. value aspect of it so a complete inbox mega man 2 for the nes is around a hundred dollars so that's yeah. you could get a brand new well, I guess you could call it a repro or a reprint for the same price. And then Mega Man X is around seventy to five dollars complete in box. So again, you're you're paying a little bit of a premium for a new print run, but still it's not. I mean, I it, the price isn't that exorbitant for what these two items are. So I don't know. I'm sure there's lots of angry rant videos about how these things cost, you know, thirteen dollars in materials, and people are getting ripped off. But I think I sort of understand the collecting aspect of it a bit more when it's something that appeals more to me. And I think there's going to be eighty-five and eighty-five is what is seventeen thousand people or less right. that are going to be very happy with what they bought. And I, I'm, I'm okay with them being happy. Well, and I have no doubt Capcom wants a bite out of this, you know, so you can't just do the math and go, oh, I am 8-bit's going to make exactly this much money um, because because there's going to be a, a split on it for sure. Um, but I, I do. Yeah, I, I see the value, too, as, as somebody if you're a fan of something like this. Um, but it is fun to try to like in my head, I go, OK, what's going to happen on the on the in the marketplace on eBay? with something like this. And so it'll be interesting to see after, after this comes out, what, what comes of that year, what are they going to be worth? Right. There's some weird things like princess rescue on the Atari 2600 is now a pretty valuable cartridge on eBay. And that's basically a similar deal. I sold my downfall plus for the Atari Jaguar for two and a half times what I paid for it. Again, similar idea. So certainly possible. I don't know. You know what? Remember when Sonic Mania came out and there was a limited download or a physical digital edition that came with that stinking Genesis shell that had nothing inside it, the Sonic statue? Like, if people are going to pay $80 for an empty shell, I think people should be allowed to spend $100 for a working cartridge. Yeah. If you're, if this is just the kind of thing that you put on your desk, you know, or, or you're in your room. Somewhere like if you're, shelf. yeah, exactly. It's this is something that you're that kind of fan who's gonna, you know, I've got a uh, uh, Star Trek Enterprise that's like this bronzed thing, and it's like it's but probably, Matthew, um, does it really fly? 
I don't know. I haven't. I don't think I could sit on it. <laughs> well, it sounds like you just threw away a lot of money. <laughs> exactly. A non-working Millennium Falcon or whatever. Did you say Millennium Falcon? <laughs> no, Star is Trek. It, sorry. What is it? Was, it the no, it's fine. It's the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. The USS Enterprise. That's not the real <laughs> one, you know. That's not screen used. Exactly. So, so speaking speaking yes. of uh consoles speaking of screen yeah or mini not mini consoles no, but screen. Uh, mini that was the segue yeah there we go uh speaking of screens <laughs> exactly which it's like volleyball we're trying to set the set the spike so uh there's a the Neo Geo Mini which I think when did they the word about this came out like a couple of weeks ago right no it was it was within 2 weeks was it okay yeah so the snk neo geo mini there was a a leaked photograph or a series of uh details about it that were were quote-unquote leaked variety picked this up i i included a link on that so i feel like if i don't know i don't know if they're approving of the rumor you know no i think you and i could post on i learned that you and i could just create account an account on forbes what and then just post news articles oh never mind this this uh okay so i think i think you're right to be skeptical then yeah so oh yeah this this is not confirmed to be true not at all it's still a rumor it might be fake i'll tell you what the side view and the back view look like something i could do in photoshop one time i i i made a game boy in photoshop using nothing but like uh, rectangular edges and some bevels and a little bit of shading and made a photorealistic uh game boy Uh, but this 3d picture looks a little better i would imagine it's harder to fake a 3d model of something but again certainly possible so i think at this point if this is still a rumor but it's really neat because it's a little mini desktop arcade cabinet three and a half inch this is the rumored specs three and a half inch screen hdmi out um, so you can hook that up to your TV and I presume the controller comes off and rumored to have 40 games, the usual Neo Geo fair, like King of Fighters, Samurai Showdown, Fatal Fury and Metal Slug and uh, no price in this leak. But this to me seems like something that would cost at least a hundred dollars. Three and a half inch display. So look at that controller there. Now know that the displays are measured vertically. And you're no, looking diagonally. at diagonally. Sorry, <laughs> diagonally. Bleh. So they're measured diagonally, which means that it's even smaller than that in width, except it's got a little bit of a, a, so, a bezel on, on the sides. Or how whatever. wide so, is an NES controller? Do you know? Uh, off the top of my head, no. That something could be like the three. Si- yeah. yeah, that could be three the size inches of or an something. NES controller. That's, that's pretty, ah, that's going to be interesting for a, a joystick because it's the actual nub, you know, so that's going to be really interesting to see Have how Have you feels. ever used a Neo Geo CD gamepad? No, I have not. It's amazing. That's what this <laughs> reminds me of, except for it has a little knob instead of a, a thumb thing, but so... I don't know. What do you think? Isn't art, isn't SNK coming up on like a 40 year anniversary or something? Um, I think that's, yeah, yeah, that's, and that's mentioned. SMK has worked with partners to release a Neo Geo before they had that weird, that, uh, handheld slash, Ooh, a handheld slash console, um, dual type product that sounds like a switch when I say it out loud that could hook up to your TV or work as a handheld. And I think it ended up being kind of lousy. 
it had the wrong screen. It had a wide screen and Neo Geo is not mm. widescreen. And I think it had um, the, the video output was garbage. So you couldn't even hook it up to a TV anyway. So SNK has or SNK Playmore has worked with partners on hardware before. So it's certainly possible that it is real. But it's also certainly possible that the amount of people that care about Neo Geo is so small that there's no way this would ever be released or exist. Well, if it's, I mean, again, it's that whole collector's angle where this is like, um, you know, it's, it's a, um, it would look nice on the shelf. Yeah. And it's that factor of like, it's this weird thing. It's this weird, um, novelty, you know, it's like a novelty collector. I guess that's what we would call all of this is like novelty collectors market. Um, so I mean, ultimately, um, you your comment about the price i think is a good a good thing to to say is is that i think ultimately it comes down to how much is this thing going to cost i can't imagine this being cheap um the build quality although this is all renders i mean it's clearly rendered these are not yeah real yeah and so but it, but the the design and everything it's just man how could this be it very well could be some college kid mocked this up for a school project. Another one of his friends saw it and said, hey, I'm going to play a prank on the internet. So do you, let's say, okay, so for you, does this pass like the smell test? Like, does, do you mm, think 50, this 50 is- 50-50 for me. Yeah. I could see it being fake and I could see it being real, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Something about the controller to me is what's making the alarm bells go off. Like I, I get, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's the thing is it's so weirdly to me, it would be so clearly weirdly small and awkward that it might actually be real. (laughs) Here's a question. Is it possible in today's day and age to buy a three and a half inch LCD screen that is four by three? Does that part still exist? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, the whole the whole marketplace for um, like you can raspberry still buy pies, four by and, three screens. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh, that's well, stuff. Shows that, what I know. <laughs> yeah, people use them as like little terminals and, and things like that for like raspberry pies and stuff. And if you're going to make them like a portable, uh, uh, you know, gaming console with with the like retro pie running on a raspberry pie or something like that. And that, they actually have four by three. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah, maybe so, it's real then. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, it's it's rendered. There's just no way. How about this? Let's look at it from a nostalgic standpoint. Do you remember what an old Neo Geo arcade cabinet looked like? The classic ones, the wooden ones, not the the plastic candy cabs. Uh, No, not at all. They were red. Mm. This thing has no red on it anywhere. Food for thought. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, let's move along. So I wanted to touch base on that Power A wired Xbox 360 controller that I bought a month ago, two months ago, because I didn't want to keep burning through terrible rechargeable batteries. So this is that, I think it's on clearance right now, $14.97 for a brand new wired 360 controller from a company I've never heard of. But I guess <laughs> if you were into modern gaming, you would have heard the name Power A before. So I've used this to beat uh, Sonic Generations, and I've used it now to beat Rayman Origins. So I've got about 40 hours onto it, and uh, it's it's still holding up. I wanted to say that... No, that's not true. It's about 30 hours, because I, I played... 
Rayman Origins the first time on the Xbox One. Love the Xbox One controller. Um, but uh, for a couple of hours during Sonic Generations, the A button started getting sticky. But I, I think the plastic eventually wore down, so it's not sticking anymore. Mm, yeah. So I don't really know why that happened, but it stopped doing that. And then uh, one of the triggers, I don't know if it's the left trigger or the right trigger. I assume an analog trigger works like, you know, that reports a value of between like one and a hundred or something. And um, for Rayman Origins, if you just look at it, if it strikes that first value, Rayman will start running. Yeah. And this seemed to sometimes hit that first value where it would be registering a trigger press when my fingers were not on the trigger. Now, I don't know how first person shooters are programmed. If it's, you know, it doesn't shoot until you get to the bottom or halfway a racing game. Obviously, it wouldn't really matter at all. Um, But it is. Yeah, it was a little odd because that, you know, seemed to develop as I play where the triggers would be registering a light value, even if I wasn't pushing them, which was kind of annoying. I will say that I've got two ps4 controllers and uh the the price on those is what 60 i think yeah like a new wire or wireless controller is like 60 bucks yeah if not more i don't even know i mean it feels like it's this amazing thing but i'm having problems with the trigger on on uh on on a sony one yep and it's not registering like uh since it's analog um you know you can a lot of games will make it uh the way that you control a the vehicle or whatever and it's not registering at the highest um points like i can squeeze it all the way down and it's thinking that i'm only squeezing it halfway so the car Ooh. doesn't go to its max speed or whatever so um it's it's you know it's possible to get a lemon even with the big ones um but I don't know. That's that's those are kind of interesting problems. The the trigger registering, even though you're not pressing it, that I don't even know what would cause that. Um, that's interesting. Must be the way they measure the the the, the potentiometer. I don't know, know what something. On that. Yeah, who knows? There's and there's probably like a patent, so they can't do it the smart way, and they have to do it some crazy harebrained way, so they don't have to pay someone else some royalties or whatever i don't know everything about it feels fine it feels nice and i'll probably just keep using it i might actually buy another one as a spare maybe i'll get that off amazon or something but yeah it's kind of nice to not have to think about batteries and it's nice to not have to to think about latency or anything like that yeah exactly yeah so pro tip for youtuber creators out there just use a wired controller (laughs) (laughs) as i stare at my wireless mouse and keyboard actually to be fair these things go like three or four months on these crappy batteries yeah just i've had such weird luck with anything wireless where you know it's like it's pinging or something. And so I know if I'm not using it, the battery life's just going to die. It's just going to die just sitting there, you know, way faster than if I had just taken the batteries out and then put them back in when I was using it, which is obviously not what you want to be doing. Um, but it's just, I guess it just, they're all, everything's weird. <laughs> they all do it their own ways, but that button, the a button thing that you're talking about, I totally know what you're talking about. And, um, I used to like, methodically like once a month clean out my uh super nes 
and NES controllers and like clean everything and stuff just because I, I don't know, it was fun. It was something I could do besides constantly playing games or whatever. And, and that, that's that whole thing that you're describing. I know exactly what that it, like, is. It comes up, but it's like slightly delayed and you just know it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's the button itself. It's rubbing up against the, the you know plastic. One, hole. Yeah, exactly. So you might be able to like reseed it, or it did it itself. I you think know, it, uh, just, it either yeah reseeded itself, or it wore away just enough plastic so yeah. it stopped getting stuck. Yeah, but we're back. I've got an A button again. Sweet. Now I can play <laughs> Rayman Three and use that damn A button to fire. <laughs> All right. So you've compiled some interesting data here. Yeah, this is insider information right here. This is inside baseball. This is uh, for resellers or people who are interested in this kind of stuff for video games in particular. Disc-based video games in particular. Exactly, disc-based video games. And um, the the vertical of I want to buy games and they're, I'm not afraid to resurface some of them. So I'm not going to go into the the... So the resurfacers that I'm using, I'll just say they're they're from a company called Vinmill. Vinmill, V E N M I L L. Spell that again. V E N M I L L. Vinmill. Yeah. So they're not cheap. Um, I think you're going like one thousand to start. A higher than that, I believe, depending on the ones that you pick. Um, I, I'm using. I, I don't know the model offhand. I don't, I can't see from here, but, uh, anyways, um, so I've, this entire time that I've been using them, I created a database where, uh, I, I'm resurfacing Xbox games. And so I pick Xbox from the drop down, and this is all on the iPad. And then I can just hit a button and say, I'm, I'm buffing it for 30 seconds and I'm sanding it for 10 seconds. And, and I know the exact cost of the materials and how much, uh, that 10 seconds is really costing me on, on that particular title or whatever. And then there's a pass fail button that I press when I finish testing it and I can do like hundreds at a given moment and be able to use that, that, uh, put that data in. And I've been doing it just, just offhand. So I know where I'm at for a day's work or whatever, but also just to have the data. This is the first time I've actually sat down and been like, okay, I'm going to compile everything that I have. Uh, so to, uh, just talk, I'm not going to say the exact... throw up some questions for you. How about yeah, that? Yeah, go for it. All right. So you resurface hundreds of discs as part of your job. Yeah. When you... I'm going to guess that uh, there's a couple systems where you never have to resurface the disc at all. Yes. I've, I've highlighted two systems here in this list, and it's partly because they're newer, and so I'm not coming across their discs nearly as often... And, and then on top of that, not needing to resurface them nearly as often. Blu-ray discs are very good at resisting scratches. Yep. Um, and so when you're dealing with like the PS3 or the Wii U, um, any of the modern consoles after yeah, those Xbox generations. Xbox One, Wii U, PS3, all exactly. use for all intents and purposes Blu-ray discs. And uh, I actually followed this back in 2000, I believe, 5 when, it was, uh, when they were creating Blu-ray disc. And basically because the data on a Blu-ray disc is so compact even the tiniest of scratch would basically render parts of the disc unreadable because the pits and the dips or whatever are so 
tiny. Mm-hmm. So they had to create a coating for Blu-ray. Well, they could have either stuck the Blu-ray disc in a cartridge, like uh, they've done for other optical media in the past, and like a PSP. And obviously that was not going to fly. So they created, they somehow invented this super hard surface and they developed a way to apply it. I think they'd like stick a drop on the center of a disc and then spin it. And then it like evenly goes outside and you have this perfect, hard, flexible surface on these Blu-ray discs that is virtually scratch proof. So you could run these things all along your carpet and you are never going to receive a scratch. It's it's amazing. It I don't is know why. So yeah, weird to buy a Wii game or a Wii U game or a used Blu-ray. It is weird to buy a used Blu-ray and every time, every disc that I get is always perfect every time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I've highlighted those in red on, on this list here and, and I'm not going to reveal the numbers for it because it's statistically not helpful because it's so small um, where it wouldn't it wouldn't be useful information anyways. Uh, I've never had a fail. So um, what system has the, uh, you get a bunch of games for this system and you're, you know, you're going to be using that nice, uh, buffing sanding machine, which system has the worst discs? Well, so my gut was the Xbox and sure enough, uh, that, that is the one with, um, as far as okay so as far as the cost is concerned the xbox is by far the most expensive system to resurface for so Um, the xbox of course uses dvds yeah it uses dvds and in my experience i found whatever reason the, the plastic is very hard and so you have to sand it a lot more in order to get the the really tough spots out and sanding is an expensive process in terms of cost of materials and you're going to get more failures as well. Um, just simply because of, I don't know, it's on the outer edges that there's like these permanent scratches that, um, I experience a lot and they're really hard to, to get rid of. And sometimes you can even get an Xbox disc to look perfect and it's still just, something's off with it uh the and uh the other thing i will say about testing xbox games is you're going to want to make sure you don't have a modded console because a lot of drm uh or uh yeah drm stuff exists on the disc to prevent uh certain mods from working so you need to have a console that's not been tampered with uh but then there's the gamecube which, which is so just uh, to go back a bit. So the Xbox you said is the most uh, when there is a failed disc, it is the most expensive one to fix. And you have here about sixty three six, cents to resurface an average Xbox game. Yep, uh, and that's so sanding the costs is twenty five cents, and then the polishing that's where you buff it out, and make it shine is uh 38 cents because you've got unfortunately again the plastic or something about it's harder so you've got to you've got to buff it longer to get that sheen back on there so that the the laser and everything's plays happy with it again so what system has the highest failure rate where you know if you get a stack of these games you are going to be using your expensive resurfacer the most so that would be the the gamecube um which and part of the reason why is because of the size so you have to use a special kind of insert and i've actually and you can't technically sand them but i've i've made my own frankenstein invention and i'm going against the warranty (laughs) 
to be able to to sand them because uh, there's a lot of valuable uh, disc only GameCube games, and if you can get them working, it's you know it's I estimated the risk um, in favor of it, but uh, uh, GameCube games by far are one of the hardest ones to to get going, and it's simply the form factor that makes it this weird cumbersome thing that that. Uh, um, you have to have like this inlay and it, and it can, it can get damaged. Uh, you can damage the discs more easily. Um, so it's just like a crapshoot. GameCube games are the riskiest ones to try to resurface in my, in my experience. So I feel like you're burying the lead here. Cause you look at this data and you're like, Oh, the Xbox costs on average 63 cents to resurface. And to me, that is the least interesting piece of data on here. What's the most interesting? I'm curious. 24.44% fail rate. <laughs> the <laughs> number. On. The number. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, Hello? yeah. For- <laughs> which system fails the most? Which system has the games where you know a big stack of them aren't going to work? <laughs> the biggest, most interesting number on the chart. So, yeah. 24% of uh, GameCube games I've had failures with. Um, so that means and- if you buy four GameCube games on average, one of them will not work and will need to be resurfaced no if you buy a hundred of them 25 aren't going to work so so what this is is this is pass fell on ones that i've determined i need to resurface so that's one thing i should have said specifically so this is these are ones that absolutely need to be resurfaced in some way and so in that realm of you know that this disc needs to be like you're buying it at you're looking at it at the goodwill or whatever and you've got that like oh man man this could um this might need th- a buff right exactly that's um i blew some people's ears off with my laughing earlier i think it peaked out to all high heaven but uh yeah so these in in the in the realm of i'm gonna buy this knowing i need to resurface it within that the gamecube has the highest failure rate in okay. my experience. So yeah, this isn't uh this isn't every single one. Although it, I honestly for GameCube it's pretty pretty darn close. Um I was where- gonna say in my experience um of looking through GameCube games at pawn shops or thrift shops, I swear to God, they all look like they were owned by five year old kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing I notice is um I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's people that don't like each other or something, but uh, they'll you'll open it up and it's clear someone just took their keys and went across them. I and wonder if I, these things, because they're small, ended up in children's pockets to take to the playground or to school to trade or... It could be. It could be something like that. Well, and I, you know, the thing with the GameCube was the whole portable angle. I don't think it was really used that much, but I do know that Nintendo had a... Like, those little... Uh, carry-alls where you'd slide all your GameCube discs into them and then take take them all with you without the without the uh, boxes and everything. So that may be a reason why they they tend to get beat up a bit more in the age of people the audience for the GameCube might might have been younger and that might have contributed to it in some way as well. Um but the man, you know, here's what I'll say from my own experience. What's interesting is the fail rate of the Dreamcast is so low. And the average cost per resurfacing the disc is very low. Yeah. The Dreamcast games, I call it like a soft plastic. They don't, um, there's, okay. So there's two things about that. I've found about resurfacing Dreamcast games is you want to look at them, hold them up to the light and look at them. And if you see any light shining through, don't even bother because the data has gone. No amount of resurfacing are you going to get it yeah, back. Yeah, I think on the Dreamcast, it's like a CD where the data layer is actually near the top where the label is. 
Yeah, it's versus in that sense. a DVD. Oh, that's another thing. So a DVD, the data layer is like smack dab in the middle. That's why a DVD you can resurface a million times, and it'll probably be you know you'll get there. And then right. a Blu-ray, actually, the data layer is right at the bottom. Yeah. So that's it, another reason for that hard coding. That's well, and that's I mean that's to the point. So if you see any damage on the top of the Dreamcast game, not the bottom, any damage on the top of the Dreamcast game, don't even bother. Cause it's dead. Like that, that's, you know, if the label shows anything, it's over. Yeah. I do um, that whenever I buy like a PlayStation or a Saturn game or anything that is, that is disc based on a CD, I, I hold it right up into a light. And if I see pinholes, I don't buy it. It's a, it's, a, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good rule of thumb, but the Dreamcast especially, you, it can, that light test is the easiest way. It's easiest to notice. And they're just really sensitive. So I think the reason why the fail margins on those are so low is because a lot of them do fail in the sense of I look at them and I know they're goners. But when it comes to resurfacing, they're so easy to resurface that when when it does have those scratches on the on the actual laser side, uh, the side that faces down towards the laser, then then I know it's going to be okay. Um, yeah. So Dream GameCube's got the uh, the worst fail rate. Um, and uh, second from the Xbox in terms of costs to repair, just because you've got to run buffing on it and do it for a long time to try to get those scratches out. And you're going to be, it's got to be something on that you're confident is going to be worth it. Cause you know, these are averages. And so I'll say that, you know, like a smash, well, yeah, you're not going to spend 63 cents polishing a Madden game. That's value is 50 cents. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so that's, that's the thing is like, these these are averages and then it's just like you know smash bros i might spend two dollars or so worth of material to try to get going because it's it's absolutely worth it if i can yeah um, for sure but sometimes it's just money lost so uh i think what i'll do is i'm just going to post these up on i'll post a screenshot of this up on twitter do it so at the yeah so people can check it out and uh if they're interested in the actual, the full numbers, because I don't want to do a complete so rundown. So just a final clarification, this is the, not the games that, so I assume a majority of the games you look at, you see, ah, this is in pristine condition, and then that doesn't count in this chart. Right, so this is numbers based on You your, look at the disc and you know, I'm going to have to take a second look at this disc. Yeah, exactly. So. 24.44% um, fail rate on GameCube. And this is data. This is about, um, just to give it a number, it's about um, uh, how many? Let me hang on just a second. I don't want to have too much dead air here. Where is it? Looking at uh, my this Game is Boy almost, player disc. That's another one. This you is probably almost been extra time surfacing. <laughs> this is almost 4,000 games um, surfaced worth of worth of data. Damn, so, man. Yeah, it's a lot. That's so it's good. It's good information. <laughs> That's hundreds of dollars in surfacing costs. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I could give you the numbers on that too. Um, I believe I have. Yeah. Uh, almost two thousand uh, dollars. Sixteen. Um, K. So. Nice. Or, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Sixteen hundred. Yeah. Sixteen <laughs> K. Jeez. No. Sixteen hundred. So that's an average of four dollars per disc. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the costs um 25 bucks for the uh sanding materials and um uh 70 for the uh for i was the, always wondered because i know most shops will charge either two dollars or 250 somewhere in that area to resurface a disc 
Yeah, so they're throwing in the labor and then a little extra something. Oh, so yeah, can... I mean, it's a service. Yeah. I'm fine with the $2 resurfacing fee. That seems just fine. No, that's an honest amount. I mean, f- frankly, that's um, some of the times they're probably losing a little bit on that. I'll just, <laughs> I'll bring in my really, really bad Xbox discs to the stores I don't like. <laughs> and I'll bring my Dreamcast games to the shop I do like. There you go. There's a pro tip. Good stuff. No, you will not hear that anywhere. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. All right. So, so I heard, I was listening to some show, some video, some something. I don't remember where. And they brought up the Super NT and the shipping cost. And that's when I realized what I actually don't like about the Super NT is the price that they give is misleading. So I said it was too expensive. And now 190 doesn't sound expensive for a well-made, properly programmed FPGA Super Nintendo. The problem is, is it doesn't cost $190 because somehow they've managed to... Ch- the shipping is $40. Now I've shipped a lot of things in my life. You've shipped a lot more things in your life. I don't even understand how to get to a $40 shipping cost. Did you have to sign for it or did somebody have to? I'm wondering if they're certified. No sign. It was left at my door. If you knew where I lived, you could have just stole it that day. Yeah. I wonder if it's insured or something, but the other thing that, that I can think of, and this is just a bad um, it might be their way of thinking about the shifting costs. They might be including when they think of, well, it costs us this much money to ship it from China parts or, or assembled or whatever. And so they're like, well, we're just going to put that as part of the shipping costs when we put the total together for the actual buyer, which is a weird way to think about it. I don't, I, but I think maybe, I don't know, maybe they're getting scammed a lot where, you know, the, their, their stuff is so expensive in the first place and it's such a kind of niche where they need to make sure that they insure it in case somebody does try to just say they never got it. Okay. Um, so maybe something like that, but then that, that's the kind of thing you do if you're on the B, like the better business bureau or something, um, which I don't, I don't know that they are or not, but that is really strange. I, I mean, I don't I'm fine. If it was like. I mean, if it was, hey, this is $229 with free shipping, I think I in my head I would be like, okay. Or if it was like $210 with $20 shipping, I'd be like, okay. But like, it's not $190. No. I mean, this $40 is, something- is a huge percent of percentage some, some ebayers yeah some people on ebay do this where it's like you know it's like dude this is gonna fit into an envelope you're gonna send it to me in an envelope well you know whatever it is you're buying and they're charging like ten dollars shipping 99 like, cents ten dollars shipping yeah it's like what do you what 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 is this i mean do you think they're trying to tap into buyer psychology where they're just like it's below the 200 mark? i literally have no idea i it has to i mean either you're right and Insuring a $200 device or $190 device is more expensive than I know, or they're just monkeying around with the numbers. But like, that's what got me. It was like, no, this isn't $190. This is $230. Right. The the other thing I could think of is the shipping, you know, if they're including labor in the sense of like, are these things not packaged? And then when it gets ordered, are they assembling the the packaging material was there anything on the exterior packaging because you got the black one that indicated it was the black one i don't know i have no idea (laughs) that's that's the only thing i can think of is like 
they've got standard boxes and then they've got all these consoles sitting there and they don't want to assemble everything in mass. They want to do it on order for but whatever then, reason. That should be part of the $190 price tag. Right. I agree. It's you can't like what, what was the last thing? How, how much did it cost to ship the, um, the turbo duo? Oh, I know why they're doing it. I just thought of it. What is it? It's a, um, the shipping's a business expense. Uh, oh, geez, is that what it gonna... is well yeah because now you've got a bigger write-off all right so i just saved you some taxes this year <laughs> <laughs> i mean if they're not insuring it and you can you can somehow uh you know if you can mark that as the shipping expense and you can show that on paper then you can have that as a tax, you know, that's a, that's a write-off. That's a tax, that's a, uh, an expense. So I, I mean, that's, it's a possibility. It seems like the most likely one in my opinion, besides the fact that they may need to be insurance or not the fact, but I would so assume in that your professional opinion, and I'm not saying it's time would just, for a libel lawsuit in your general opinion, does this thing actually cost $40 to ship from nevada to the rest of the united states i i would say if they're doing some form of cya with with a price where they're including labor or something with that yeah but then to me it's like okay make it 199 and the shipping 30 okay and and you've tipped tipped the scales in the buyer's mind where it doesn't feel as that you still blow that 200 price point um, but honestly, I cannot say for sure because there may be, you know, there may be state specific things that they're and having. This, to f- this wasn't two day shipping either. Like this was like a full week via UPS. Mm. I don't know. You know, it could be, there could be a number of reasons like, uh, you know, I know when you make a certain amount as a company, depending on the state you are, there's like things that you have to follow. Um, and there, you know, it could be something like that, but I, I honestly can't think of a good reason for it, except that, you know, as a business, if you're producing something that doesn't have that much of an expense side to it, and you can move your expenses around a bit, then you get you know, you can get a little bit more of a write-off for so, those expenses. So in your opinion, not stating as a fact that it's probably messing with numbers and that it does not cost $40 to ship this thing via UPS. Well, I can, I could give you an answer. If you can give me a weight on the packaging, I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you some things. All right. Next um, episode, we'll yeah, figure out how we can dive it into cost it. to ship a ding. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't feel right though. It does it not doesn't, feel right. No. And that's no. what got me. Right. Remember I was like, something about this just feels expensive. Like one ninety, yeah. like two thirty, And it's not that the two thirties too expensive. It's that they told me they were selling it to me for one ninety, but they really sold it to me for 230 and something about that felt misleading and i don't like that now granted i did click through and pay 230 but it feels like yeah if they had been more honest about the shipping cost i wouldn't have thought twice about it yeah and and it might just be that they're including the cost of materials and things like that like the outside the outer box they're going all out on or something like that but can you ship these things to like ups and then they have some sort of packaging service like can they ship right from china to a ups warehouse or or some sort of service like that or if they can if they can get an msrp then they can ship all of it to amazon 
and Amazon, or just then they Amazon. only have to, they only have to, <laughs> well, right. But then they only have to pay the Amazon warehouse fees and now it's a prime product as well. And, um, you know, Amazon takes care of the shipping side of it. So they should just uh, use Amazon instead of whatever they're doing it. now. I mean, if they can get an MSRP, they can use them as a warehouse and, and it's pretty competitive stuff and it could reduce their, their, their costs a bit. And it would, you know, but I, I don't know. It it does seem a little weird and it just might be the way their business is structured. Um, I don't, I don't know, man. All right. So, mm. you know what else is a little weird, man? <laughs> you watched a three-year-old video of mine <laughs> the spire of the dragon review it was like review number 82 back in 2015 oh man how was so it do you do you remember the uh like we're editing you were i mean you're still you know you're doing iMovie and all that but back then but were you was that what you were using back then um back in 2015 you know if that video was no, oh, that video was 2014. Let's look quick, because I can tell you which computer I edited it on. Spyro the Dragon Implant Games. Am I number one? I am. All right. Let's see when this video was published. Um, this video was published on. Come on, December 23rd, 2014. Uh, so this is actually my old iMac from 2010. Um, so this would have been an old duo core, dual core, 21 and a half inch iMac that actually still had a CD-ROM at that time. Um, so this would have been an old computer with uh, an old version of iMovie. In 2015, in the spring of 2015, with tax returns, I bought this computer. So I'm kind of hoping this also lasts me five years, and then in 2020, I'll buy another computer. But yeah, why do you ask? Oh no, I was just I was just curious, like what your what platform you're kind of working on when you. Oh when yeah, you the from video. from the beginning, every podcast and every video has been done on an iMac. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, the thing that I noticed most was the voice and, and, um, the way that you were the, the speak, the speaking voice that you were using for the, for the VO, that's what stood out the most to me. I, I made the joke on VO on meaning voiceover. Yeah. So the voiceover, it, it reminded me, uh, I, I joked at you on, on Twitter about it with, uh, it sounded like a NPR. Um, cause it was kind of, um, it felt really soft and like, um, I don't know, like the the way the delivery and everything compared to your stuff now, it felt um, stiff. I guess maybe is a is a word to use, but also robotic. Yeah, that maybe maybe something like that. And I know you had said <laughs> that you stopped taking out the, your breath, the breaths, and that was you know comparing the two videos like that, and then the origins video. Hearing those breaths is so helpful uh, for for making it stay like uh, feeling natural. I guess you could say, yeah, more like a but, conversation. But I feel like it's also your projection. Like the one VO tip is to be standing when you give your voiceover because something about that makes makes the way that you yeah it's your deliver. stomach or your diaphragm or whatever something in yeah. you get. So yeah, something about that um, changes your delivery, and I think I think that's what I'm honing in on. It's just like the delivery um, three years ago uh, versus now, and the way that you sort of project projected your voice um between those two times but then also like the the um there's something about that you learn over time about editing 
And I think everyone has to kind of go through these steps where you kind of learn. Um, you don't necessarily have to do everything beat for beat with what you're saying. You can kind of move things. Um, you can have what you're saying and what's happening on screen kind of move uh, differently and not be so one to one. And I felt like um, it felt a little more like one one to one i guess see i would have figured it was zero to zero that whatever i was saying had nothing to do with what was happening on the screen well i guess what i'm saying is like this i felt like the um the like you would say something and then it just felt like the the pacing of your delivery and and the cuts and everything like that seemed to be um i don't know like they seem to be married in a in a little bit too much I don't know how to put it. Like, I, well, I'm not going to go so back I, and watch it. <laughs> right. Well, I did a review of Spiral, and I kind of, I, I, I did. You know, it's a totally different wheelhouse or style or whatever. But um, I felt that way. Maybe I might even be thinking of mine because I actually watched both of ours. Um, but yeah, I think it's mostly the delivery and the, and the voice and the. I the other thing is, it seems like your writing is is different now too, or at least the structure of, of the way that you. Um, kind of approach, approach the reviews. Of course, you're doing a lot of the uh, the news. Uh, um, you know, is is this uh, still good? Um, angle and and that kind of stuff. So that that changes things. A little up, more but. focus. Yeah. But the other thing too is it's definitely a lot shorter. And I don't know, dude. I just feel like comparing you from them from now. The only like I kind of get like like timid is the word that it feels like in, in the older review versus now, you know, it just feels like, uh, I think you just have to find your voice. And, and I think that's something that, that you were able to, to do over time. I would um, love to go and find the original recording from one of these old videos and then use that old voice and apply the compression and the, um, the equalizer along with the editing style I do now just to see how it sounds <laughs> like was this old like has my voice really changed do I not talk the same as I used to like if I take this old file and do the same things I do to it today is it still going to sound like a timid you know strange person or would it just sound like oh it sounds like I recorded this yesterday I suspect it would probably still sound terrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely something about the delivery is probably still terrible. No, yeah, it's definitely it's in your voice. Um, that's that's for sure. And here's so what I, think- I remember. Here's what I remember from the Spyro v- review. I suspect I recorded it in S video, and I will tell you that in 2014, yes. I definitely didn't know all the things I know about the Frame Meister today in 2018. So if I was going to remake the video, it would look a million times better. And it's funny because in 2014, that probably looked pretty good compared to what other people were doing. Yeah, and I, it definitely was S video. I can I can <laughs> for sure say that. I can actually yeah. get some good looking S video now. You'd be amazed. Um, I wonder what I've most recently done in S video. Oh, my entire 3DO video was S video, and that looked pretty darn good. I've got skills yeah. now. I didn't beat the game for God knows why. I just didn't because I was doing four videos a week, so it was impossible. Mm. I was doing the Mark Bustler. That was the problem, and that was the wrong way to go about it. Oh, you're just trying to... to, I was to churning them out. Yeah. 
I assume all of my cuts of like the footage was probably in the like 20 to 30 second range instead of the 6 to 12 second range. Yeah. And I assume between every single clip was probably a one second fade instead of a hard cut. (laughs) I'm not. uh, There's dissolves. Lots of dissolves. Lots of dissolves. Okay. I guess I'm saying fade. I don't. Maybe it is dissolve. Yeah. Cross dissolve. It is a dissolve, isn't it? Yeah. There's lots the, of cross dissolves. Yeah, now that you mention it, I can tell that you didn't yeah, you didn't actually get that far in the game just from I'm like scrubbing <laughs> around right now, kind of looking at it. I'm so happy it only has like 600 views. But you can <laughs> see like obviously the video was not that great. I don't even think I would say I I don't even know if it was acceptable for 2014. I guess I would probably say no now, but bless the people that did watch and comment. Um Although I don't know if any of those people in the comments still watch videos, but um, what was I going? They're all dead now. Yeah, so so you know, it's a shorter video. The retention was probably low, and uh, now nobody watches it. So there you go. Proof is in the pudding. If I did a Spyro the Dragon video today, I guarantee, yeah, it would it would cross a thousand within the first day and probably work its way to ten thousand rather quickly. Yeah, you could do some weird mix-up with the new game and and uh, some like side by side or something. Uh, uh, oh yeah, it's coming out on the Xbox One, isn't it? The reignited. Yeah. See, I would I'd play the PlayStation versions first. You would have to because I would have to know what was changed. Otherwise, I would just <laughs> I would just sound like a hack. <laughs> well, I will say there is one moment that you show where. I couldn't figure it out for the longest time. And you only showed the one clip, so obviously it could have been after a bunch of trial and error. But there's like his little dash forward run thing mm-hmm. and then jumping and flying, you get this like ultra boosts thing. And for the longest time, because it's not taught to you in the game ever, there's never a moment where you have to be able to do that in order to get to some point so that you as a player learn it. Um, yeah, this is the one. You pull it off. No yes. problem. Like a pro. Yeah. Maybe I did. No, no, that's a two twenty-two mark. (laughs) What possessed you? So I, 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 I'm not going to watch it because I think I would be a little embarrassed. Um, (laughs) So I'm not going to. I wanted to. I wanted to share it because I was. uh, I was kind of going on a Spyro one uh, sharing thing where I was like. I, I did a spiral review and then I was like, I wonder, wonder if Chris did. And so I looked it up and I was like, oh, sure enough. And then I looked at the start of the video and the uh, logo came up and I was like, oh, this is old. Yeah, it, it probably just, has an intro. Yeah. Well, um, and it's got the, what's the, not what is the, lo- what is the logo? What is that? That's the old hippo dog logo. Oh, is that what that is? Okay. Yeah. I stopped using it after a while because it didn't look good as a. Like you can't shrink it down to make it look interesting. Uh, yeah, it doesn't the squint test or whatever. It doesn't pass that. Yeah. So then I, I think one day I was like bitter. I'm like, well, everyone else has a crappy logo. I'll just have a crappy logo. I G plus dot dot done like three minutes. And I've been yep. using it for a couple of <laughs> years. I don't know. Something doing, doing it that way is it works. I work best yeah. when I'm angry. All right. I need to shut the volume down. Uh-oh. Oh my god, I can't hear me. There we go. Did you hear me? No. Oh good. You know this footage doesn't look terrible for what it is. No. It's probably not at all. Because right. I did S video on mine and it looks Actually, like Actually, this is funny. So right now the that's the power of the frame meister. So right now the only thing that is shared between these original videos and what I do now is the end title card. It's exactly the same. That same metal looking gradient at the end is the oh, same. Yeah. 
Oh no, I, at this point I had given up on those silly intros. Oh, B. Interesting. Alrighty. So there we have it. So you clicked on it out of curiosity. You yeah. weren't expecting some uh, some high-level thoughts on game design when you clicked on that video, I wasn't, were you? <laughs> I was not expecting the host of the top countdown for Smooth Jazz Oh yes, yes for yes. NPR as what I received when I, when I watched the video. Sadly, they um, never discovered me. I, I don't know why this is. Did you just say Smooth strange. Jazz? Smooth Jazz. Is that a so thing? We, no. What's funny is my soundtracks teacher in college in... Uh, 20, 2009 or the spring of 2010 actually does a show for WPR, Wisconsin Public Radio, called Jazz Odyssey. <laughs> That's so weird. That's so random. <laughs> Look outside your window. I'm there right now. I'm here. I'll take over when you retire. <laughs> yeah, it was very weird. When I went to college, I, um, I was in digital media for one year. I think I failed all my generals. I didn't have to take a lot of generals because I graduated um, in 2004. So I didn't have to take like a math and things like that. But there was like one general I had to take and I just stopped going. Uh, I think I passed... All of my, I think I got A's and all the things I cared about, like photography, soundtracks, a bunch of other things. But I didn't go back for the second year and get my degree. And I'm kind of thankful now because <laughs> there's no right. jobs here for this type of work. Um, but it did get me, you know, I bought an iMac for school. I guess it would have been, maybe I got the iMac in 09. It's all a little blur now, but where was I going with this? Damn it. <laughs> um... Oh, yeah. So I worked with like a lot of strange people. So like a popular radio DJ, I worked with a bunch of projects with him. And I think it was because everybody in the classroom knew who he was and thought of him as famous. And I had no idea who he was. So he just was a regular dude to me. So I didn't like get all fangirl on him. But there's, yeah, there's people that made amazing music. I don't know whatever happened to them. Like some girl in my Photoshop class, she, I sat in the back row. She sat next to me where the Wacom tablet was. And she literally never paid attention to anything the teacher said for three hours or four hours a night for an entire semester. And all she did was draw anime on this Wacom tablet. It was, it was amazing. Like she was just this brilliant artist. I like met all of these amazing, talented people, be it speaking, be it drawing, be it photography, be it uh, video editing and special effects, like all of these crazy, talented people. It was so strange. It was just like way outside of like the people that I see every day at my current job, which is not, it's just not the same type of person at all. Yeah. It's, um... So now that I've bashed everybody I know, <laughs> should we move on to our stream? There's the thing? one guy who listens to this that's that's a co-worker who has never said anything, and he's just, he's just sobbing right now. Nobody that I work with listens. I work with 95% <laughs> middle-aged women. They, they don't listen to the show, I assure uh, you. <laughs> but they listen to WRP, or whatever. Jazz Odyssey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Streaming pick. Yeah, let's jump into it. So I'll start with an Amazon Prime series. I watched the pilot episode of Classic Game Room 2085. Did you watch this? You got through the whole thing? I made it all the way through to the end, like 38 minutes. What'd you think? <sighs> I'm going to try and be very positive, and I'm going to try and be very realistic, because I feel like over the course of the show, I've 
I've kind of talked a lot of smack about Mark and, you know, I should probably try and be more empathetic. So here's what I didn't like about it. I didn't like the edit station one skits where he skips to a shot of edit station one who always says some sort of bad joke. I didn't find them funny, nor did I find them ironic. However, other than that, and maybe an overdone intro for this pilot episode, there were things that I did like. Like, he talked about Castlevania Bloodlines for about 17 minutes, and I think it was the first time in a very long time that I watched Mark talk about the game, and I actually felt like he really knew what he was talking about. And he wasn't like me in 2014, where he was just churning out videos, where he's actually putting love and care. Like, I could tell he actually played Castlevania Bloodlines for more than a couple of hours. Like, this is probably a game that he's beaten. You know, he showed off proficient skill, and it was just a lot. It was enjoyable to watch him talk about a game and actually have faith and confidence in what he said. It was wonderful. He did a segment where he reviewed the Sega Genesis. And uh, again, it act, it felt like he knew what he was talking about. And he was very passionate. It was very good. It was very interesting and entertaining to listen to. Um, he did review a Skart Cable. Definitely not part of his wheelhouse. The, you know, the, the new retro tech that people do. Um, so he seemed a little off, but that was okay. There was a Q&A. I don't even remember the question anymore. He did some behind the scenes at the end, which seemed like a nice way to end the show. But I would say skip the first three to five minutes and then start watching. Or watch the whole thing. I mean, who am I? It definitely had a public access cable from the 80s or 90s quality to it. And parts of it I did like and parts of it I didn't like. Um, But the thing I enjoyed the most is it actually felt like Mark was happy. It actually felt like he was really engaged in what he was creating. And that could be seen on his face, on his body language, the extra time he was taking to show off product shots. yeah, it just it was the first time in years where it didn't seem like Mark was uh, grinding away at a crampy job he didn't like. So it was kind of refreshing. So what is the deal? Is this is this a uh, I think like this is the last hurrah for Mark uh, in classic video games. So I mean, is this something that you can buy the episodes of on on uh I don't know. Like, well, because I'm, no I, you've got. Do you have Prime? Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering. I'm wondering if this is like he. You know, he's also these episodes are up for sale. Let's see. On, ah, okay. More purchase options. Okay, it looks like um, you can buy it for ninety nine cents in standard def for two dollars in high def. Yeah, I mean. Like I said, I, we've talked briefly about this, th- th- what was happening, and I hope that this works, and I hope that more and more people, the, the idea of paying for uh, for content instead of just being able to consume it all, all you know, completely free, um, and I'm sure he can control whether, like, the first three episodes could be free, and then the rest, you know, you pay for, or something like that, so people who don't have Prime can get a taste of the show. Um, I really do hope that this, this kind of thing can succeed. 
Um, but like you said, I, I didn't get past the first, uh, I messaged you because I watched the first five minutes and my wife was sitting on the couch next to me. And honestly, like I was a little embarrassed. I'm like, I, I don't think I can, I don't think I can let her, her, her watch me watch this. <laughs> <laughs> She's not going to respect me. I'm it gonna... <laughs> was a real cringy opening. And, uh, but it, once he got to Castlevania bloodlines, then it was like, ah, this takes me back to 2010 and it was, it was fine. I do worry. I don't, I still stand by what I've said in the past. I don't think you can keep making videos like we did in 2010. I don't think that's the right path. But at the same time, you know, Mark is obviously significantly more successful than I am. So what do I know? Well, and that's for me what what I'm hoping, you know, I'm not a fan of the format too much. I'm I'm a fan of the model. And that's that's the angle yeah. that I'm you know I'm really uh, attracted to with with this whole thing. I think you know as far as the humor goes, um, I was thinking about it, and what it makes me think of is there's a style of cartoon that's become kind of popular, um, like Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and uh, uh, kind of low budget cartoons. And the humor, I feel like, is also low budget, but sometimes they'll strike gold with it. And I feel like that's kind of um, kind of the vibe I get from it. I know I mentioned, I think I said something about, it kind of just reminds me of dad, it's all dad humor. It's dad jokes. It's dad jokes, yeah. And it, it does, it, it definitely does feel like that. But I do think that, I think maybe what, what might be mi- missing from, from him is that person to sit down and watch the show and give a critical take on it and be like, you need to do this to make it more entertaining. Um, or not entertaining is not the right word. If you're a fan of these games and stuff, you want to, like you're saying, once he got to the, uh, once he got to the bloodlines review, that's for you where it seemed like it was, it was different. And, or at least, uh, that it was something that, you know, rather than more appealing, with, right. Um, it was just something more digestible for what the show is supposed to be. It's about video games. And so, you know, if you're going to have that, that super long cold open that, that drags it on, it's gotta be dynamite. It just wasn't right. Yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta make that a lot quicker and, and then pull, pull people in and, and somehow explain to viewers what it is they're watching. Cause the other thing that I noticed that he does a lot of is you're just thrown into, he kind of creates this universe. Like he's trying to, you know, the way he does the voice and, and describes the, like you know from planet whatever and the like, future from the future yeah this this time he's in the future i forget what the what it was in uh before that but the intergalactic the, space arcade yeah the intergalactic space arcade so he does this way of painting this picture <laughs> um and then the camera starts and it's like oh he's just in a room somewhere um but but like that that needs to be a little bit more uh, welcoming to a new audience member who's like, what is this? Like, what am I watching? Um, yeah, the pub, the public access thing. You know what I would like? I think I would like a Mark Bustler podcast. Forget all the video, forget all the anything. I just want to hear him BS for an hour a week. I think that would be all I need. Yeah. No studio, no show, no talking robot, no nothing. I just want to hear Mark shoot the shit. Yeah. Whenever I hear him on a podcast, he's amazing. Yeah. All right. 
It would save him a bunch of time. <laughs> Money. Alrighty. So, well, that'll be... Uh, I, I would like... Maybe in the future I'll just watch the next one because I'll have nothing else, you know, to... I, I don't know. I, it'll be... It's interesting to me. Like you said, there is the future a pay per episode or is that just not a way to build an audience? Maybe it's only for established. I don't know. Yeah. Alrighty. But I did it. I watched it. I supported him. I also rented his, uh, his movie from before he started up the YouTube channel, so I have given Mark money before. As much as I question his everything, I, I am a fan, and I, I, I have put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. All right, Matthew. Not to so be confused my, with Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so my uh, streaming pick is uh, on the topic of Rayman, and specifically these two new, uh, well, new, uh, relatively speaking, Rayman um, platforming games, uh, Legends and Origins. There's a game developers conference talk uh, revolving around specifically the the uh, um, the engine that that is used to make these games, which has been used for um, Child of Light and and uh, a few other sort of indie titles, and and it's this uh, framework that uh, allows them to. Um, uh, kind of really rapidly prototype stages and levels and be able to to slap them together and and sort of work out ideas and stuff like that and see if see if they work or or, or not and w- what I find interesting is like being able to play one of these games and then sit down and hear the creators or somebody who was involved in the process and and what kind of thinking went into making that game especially when it's a good game it's like what how did they do that how did they kind of strike strike that that magic um, and one of the things I noticed about this, I don't know if you got a chance to watch the video or not. Just the it's, first couple of minutes. Yeah, no, it's, it really, he kind of really dives into it, but there is definitely a connection between the process that they use to, they want to be able to just spit out a level like a paintbrush so that the designer can just like, uh, like that he is just drawing on a piece of paper and making a stage kind of thing where it's like, oh, does this idea work? Throw the character in there, put put some uh, some physics here and and this and that there, and you know, does this? How does this feel? How does this play? And and they've got all these crazy tools for for getting the lum, lums to uh, be at the right arcs and all that kind of stuff because you can you can play the stage and then rewind and see the arc of a jump based off of this you know the max speed at, at a certain point and so that flow that we were talking about mm-hmm. with how the game feels is directly connected to the tools that they use to create the game in the first place and and so it's the thing that I think is fascinating about it is how t- the tools are like painterly. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like they created a medium to make the game in. They created a, the UbiArc framework is meant for creators. It's not meant for engineers. It's not exactly. meant for programmers. That layer has been removed. Right. So, yeah. So it's, it's more like you're doing something in Photoshop. Well, that's a really bad example, but um, like a tool... It's like using, so, well, it's not like Mario Maker, but I mean, a Mario Maker, you can start plopping things down and hit play and see what happens. Yeah. Move, tweak, but, replay. 
wash, yeah, rinse, this, repeat. Obviously, something much about, deeper. <laughs> yeah, something about the way that it connects with the art. Like you can, you can angle a, a a hill up, and once you have the assets set and the artists have done their job, then then you can just paint the hill however you want it, and all, the natural erosion that would happen and stuff. Those those are all, you know, your artist side has made those for you, so they're all there, and it's just kind of an amazing tool. And and if you're a fan of, there's a a soccer game in Rayman Legends and if you get a chance I I sit down with the wife and play this if you can if you can convince her to play this stupid soccer game in in uh Legends and it is the best like soccer it game is, <laughs> it, it is so simple there's two goals it's on a single screen it's flat it's not it, there's no 3D space to deal with and all you're doing is using the punch button and jumping around and whacking a soccer ball left and right and for this guy to describe how quickly that was made, but how much of that is like that thing that that little mini game was at the time when the, when Legends came out that was streamed like crazy because it was it's such a fun uh, little thing and it was made with all these tools and it and it's just so interesting to me to see how that thing was made in relative in in the relative scope of the entire game it was like a fifteen minute experiment versus the rest of the whole game you know and and the design process even watching the first few minutes of this video it was clear to me like it reaffirmed my feelings on the original rayman because the original rayman on the playstation and saturn and jaguar and whatever else was released on if you play that game it's very obvious there were stuff there's stuff in that game that nobody bothered to play test and say oh this doesn't work and the developers admitted this that the play testing on that game was minimal and whenever i get a comment um on that video which has been more lately saying you know get good or it's clear you suck at this game it's like guys like it was poorly designed. The developers admitted they didn't test it. Like It's just right. a fact. And then when you watch this, they're like, oh yeah, we replayed every level until it worked. I'm like, that's what you're supposed to do. I can yeah. feel it when I play your game that yes, somebody went through every single action, every motion, every swing of a vine, every lum, like they feel like somebody put it there with care. Yeah. And and that's the great thing about the whole setup is that it's about making the the game instead of programming it and living in the code and saying, hey, I need to do this thing. Can you program this? It's like, no, the, the tools are versatile enough where they can just try out mechanic ideas and things like that and, and see it like like the light uh, thing in, in Origins. You know, that that didn't need to be coded. Um, that was, you know, with the tools available, the, the designer could just make those elements work. So it's just really cool to, to, to know that I think what, um, it's just like video editing and YouTube and the access to cameras and recording equipment and stuff The the, the, it's getting lower. The, the barrier to entry to creativity for games is getting lower. And that's how you're getting like the Mario makers and stuff like that. Like eventually we're going to get to a point where anyone, if they really wanted to, could sit down and, and without even knowing how to program, could slap together a game that could become a hit. You know, at some point that, that, that entry, that barrier for that entry is going to get less and less digital act. Digital publishing has reduced the barrier from uh, the terms of, you don't have to get it in the store anymore. The store is, is, is on the console. So all, all of this, I mean, we're getting closer and closer to, uh, you know, that's why the indie, explosion is happening i think is these tools are just getting more accessible and and 
I, I don't know. It's just really exciting to see all this. I love the the game development side of things, and I like to try to tie it in as much as possible. So, so oh my god, out. I didn't pick a t. I didn't pick. That's pick all right. A We're game. running out of time. All right, <laughs> time, Matthew. Time. <laughs> we got beats to hit before eight o'clock. Um, so check them out. Classic Game Room twenty eighty five on Amazon Prime, and check out the um, Rayman Legends: The Design Process Within the Ubi Art. No, UB Art Framework on YouTube, and there'll be a link in the show notes. So, cheap games, <laughs> collecting games can be expensive, doesn't, but it doesn't have to be. So let's talk about a game that costs $10 or less and is definitely worth your time. So I actually, for this one, went deep into the Implant Games uh, library, backlog, whatever, and chose Suzuki All-Stair Extreme Racing for the Dreamcast, called Redline Racing in some territories. This is an arcade-style motorcycle racer developed by Criterion Games. This was actually two years before Burnout, and the Burnout series is what Criterion Games is most known for so from a historical perspective it's kind of interesting to play the racing game they created just before burnout and like burnout it has a super smooth frame rate the presentation is actually pretty good eva the 60 frames per second the nice texture work um goes really it looks like a arcade game from the late 90s so that's pretty sweet the only things i really didn't like about the game um at high speed the controls feel very twitchy and sometimes the t- sometimes the tire model doesn't feel very good it feels um almost like hoppy like the the physics are kind of breaking so that kind of sucks um but if you're into memory Memorizing courses and getting into the groove. Uh, Suzuki All Stair Extreme Racing is a decent game and uh, one of the few 3D motorcycle games that I actually really dig playing. So, yeah, check it out. Nice. We end with a question from Mr. Pons BCN What is your opinion on the new Labo gimmick from Nintendo? So, it's out and about. I assume you have not played with any of the labo cardboard cardboard things from nintendo i have not but i have uh consumed quite a bit of uh people videos watching people uh review it and and um i thought i had an angle on it and then somebody put up a video and it changed my my view on what labo really is um but what, what are you what's your like your kind of feeling on it i think that any Anything that teaches kids to build and create that is not some sort of, you know, um, something that you would be embarrassed to show your friends. Like there was those kids at school when we were young that did not have a Nintendo. They played with weird toys that didn't make any sense. And this to me seems like the perfect crew beginning or even adult creator type toy that makes learning and education actually cool and a lot more interesting than the educational toys aisles at Hobby Lobby. Yeah, I I think what this is is Mario Paint. Like this, when oh, I was you eleven, go. you know, like Mario Paint. I think yeah, it was ninety two, right? So that would have made me yeah, I was like eleven, and um, I for some reason just dove into that, and you know, the, there was the music. So this is the part that I didn't realize is so you've got that piano, you know, you put that together, and it's like oh, that's you know, cute or whatever. But they have an entire suite 
designed for making music in there that has a bunch of, you know, we talked about the uh, 808 um, documentary on the, on the last episode. It's got a bunch of synthesizers and drum machines nice. that are like Korg and all of those like uh, kind of classic sounds um 70s and 80s and all the synth sounds like analog ones and uh so y- there's an entire music making suite in this thing that along with that keyboard that you make with the cardboard allows you to to create music um way beyond mario paint and the duck quacking and all the ridiculous <laughs> noises that you could do with that uh i was more into the like drawing side and the animation side and playing way too many hours of that fly game on, on the fly swatting <laughs> yeah um but but this is like beyond all of that and i think you're right i think it's it's an educational thing but the other thing is too from like a parenting angle it's like well it's a computer without the internet in a lot of ways and so it's like you can you can still do all these interesting things with the actual software not just the like cardboard side of it and that to me is what i i didn't I don't think Nintendo highlighted that well enough that 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 there's this whole other side of this thing on the software and and there's like there's like a uh, kind of a programming interface apparently and uh, for like hooking different elements together and and sort of making your own hybrid uh, elements for for this whole thing and so um, I think it's I think if you're in the right age if you're 11 years old. Or if you're in the like 10 to 13 age, um, I think this is like really cool stuff. Uh, but I definitely think that there's a very specific age group and um, point point of like um, access to 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 uh, certain creative minds and stuff that this would this is something that would be really super cool with. But I think for as an adult, as you get older especially once you reach your 20s and you get a little more cynical to everything it just seems really stupid <laughs> this is just cardboard it's going to break yeah it's a waste of money off. it's a scam yeah it's a scam yeah, and that that's whole a thing. great useful hot take isn't it <laughs> <laughs> right Give it to and your so, 8 year old kid and then tell me what it's like right and just make sure you have a lot of masking tape <laughs> but uh yeah the I, I don't know. I think I think with the right age group, I think it's just a modern version of, of your Mario paints and, and, and something something like that where it's this weird it's a software for a gaming console and it's got this also this really kind of crazy hardware element with it too. So it's interesting stuff. Thank you very much for the question. And that was Mr. Pons BCN. Yes. <laughs> All right. Mr. Pons BCN. I'll see you on Twitter. (laughs) And that is going to do it for today's episode. If you'd like to leave a comment or question, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Implant. Matthew is at Cricket, K-R-I-K-I-T. Use hashtag IPG podcast. Otherwise, leave a comment on Facebook.com slash Implant Games or the website ImplantGames.com. And until next time, guys, have a great two weeks. See you. See you.